0: to throw to you, Luke. I throw so many things to you over the years, and you just keep dropping them. But on this occasion, ha- can you handle an introduction?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I'm well, by the way. Thank you. Um, so today uh, we have Kathy Saville joining us. So Kathy, uh, who I believe you have met perhaps at the Connect event that we uh, obviously both attended. Um, however, Kathy. Uh, <sighs> Of it was weird. I, I, I've known her purely from Mariba where she spent 11 years. Um and her reputation there was um, w- was large and extremely positive. You know, I, I'd known many people that had worked with her and spoken about um, uh, her as an inspirational leader, um, and, and is very integral across multiple parts of that business during her time there. So, um, my conversations with her started um, around September last year when she had just finished up at Murrayvale. She, she reached out and we had a conversation and. Um, you know, she made decision to take a bit of time for herself six months after deciding to leave the business after 11 years. And um, then we reconnected a couple of weeks ago and um, talking to her about how she's finding, um, I guess, a, a search or um, looking for her next move, deciding her next move in this market, given everything that's happening. Um, you know, I found it really interesting to have her perspective uh in in that sense so um she's worn a lot of hats highly highly intelligent very commercial um so yeah she's going to come on and talk to us about not only her her career and her life um prior to all of this but what it's like to be a a, someone looking for work in this market as well
0: yeah i don't know her very well only by reputation but as a career salesperson myself i'm looking forward to picking up some tips and also, you know, sharing some of her entrepreneurial stories that um, punctuate her CV.
1: Yeah, nice. Well, let's get stuck in. Thanks for joining us, Cathy. It's a pleasure to have you on.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: I thought, um, obviously, uh, we've invited you on for a couple of different reasons. The conversation can go in a couple of different directions, which, which it will. Um, but as a starting point, would you mind just giving uh, us and obviously anyone listening the backstory, the Kathy Saville story um, as to, I guess, how your career started, how you came through the industry and and I guess the most recent role that you found yourself in as well and where you are now, obviously?
2: Okay, um, I don't know how long this podcast is because I'm old, but...
1: um you know it's...
2: Gosh, hospitality career, I guess, started uh, very early on working for a caterer when I was about 16, um, but I started doing journalism when I finished school and then decided a gap year and did one of those seasons of the snow and fell in love with hospitality and right. uh, And came back and started studying what was then the Associate Diploma of Hotel Management and Catering at RIDE, uh, which in those days was very prestigious. You couldn't actually do a degree in any form of hospitality or event management. Um, Went from there, uh, finished that, started with Southern Pacific Hotel Corporation uh, as a corporate trainee, which took about... 18 across Australia, and I had various roles. Did a a traineeship, which I still think was one of the best training experiences ever, by sort of a month or two in all various departments of a hotel um, from accommodation, you know, room service, etc., etc. And then did various roles with them, uh, including my last role, which was as the HR manager at the Boulevard in William Street. And then I took a leap of faith with a business partner and left Southern Pacific and started a travel business for probably the market segments that nobody wanted to touch, which was sporting groups and schoolies. And we started a business that trademarked Schoolies Week. So, parents out there, I apologise. And... (laughs) and a lot of of end-of-season trips for football teams and state-of-origin tours and things like that. And uh, I was in that business for just over six years. Um, I sold my share and did a very short stint with a brewery on the road sales, which I hated because I'm a people person and I didn't like being on my own in the car and I think I had the history of the highest mobile phone bill in a short time. Uh, left there and went corporate to a top-tier legal firm for the next four years, um, managing their client services in-house and external and then overseas for 10 years and started, did some freelance events sort of producing work in the States and then went to the UK where I started a gift importing business, which I had for about five years as well, um, importing gift products from Australia and then came back to Australia mid-GFC and started at Merivale. So I think that's about it. I'm sure I haven't missed any roles there. Want to hear about...
0: What? Well, let me just say that is uh, that makes you what I would describe as a weapon. What an <laughs> yeah. incredible arsenal of experience and uh, learning, I guess, um, and, you know, completing the picture. And i would I, interject and say I think you may have actually helped by branding schoolies, right, because at least then – Parents were able to understand what it was. Otherwise, it would have been all these other sorts of like mystic information around what was going on. But like, we knew exactly what schoolies was. So I think that's a great credit. But uh.
2: yeah, it was it was an incredibly interesting time. Um, to I mean, first of all, we started a travel business the year of the airline, the pilot strike. I mean, you know, we talk about. <laughs> Crisis, that was a crisis as well, um, on a, a much smaller um, uh, scale, of course. But changing a marker perception of what schoolie was, organising it, um, we had 24-hour hotlines, we did outside broadcasts with um, Doug Mulray from Triple M. Um, you know, also the first year I think we had 100 schoolies and now there's you know, thousands in in an organised fashion. Schoolies.com still exists as a a business. And the other side of the business, which was um, it started as called Sports Break, then became Break Free and is now part of the Mantra group. So um, from a very small idea, it became a big thing.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. And... and you can't just say you then entered Maryvale because that obviously took up quite a period of time. I think were you there 12 years roughly, is that correct?
2: Uh, 11, 11. 11. Yes, yeah.
1: And I mean that's that's a pretty good chunk of time. What was the journey or progression like through I guess what you are focusing on within um, within that business? Yeah.
2: So I started in a role as a, a part-time business development manager Um, which, you know, credit to Justin, in in the middle of a GFC instead of retreating, it was what do we do differently? Um, And I was in that role for about a year and it was right at the time of Ivy opening, so 2008. Um, And after a year, my boss left and so I said, right, let me at it. And I spent probably the next four years really um, building up the event side of the business for Maryvale. Um, You know, reputationally, restaurants, bars, amazing, but didn't have a a big event focus. Um, So said about what, what does that need to look like across the venues, across the group? And, I mean, I think at that stage there were eight venues and maybe 25 brands and about 450 people. Um, And by the time I left, there was over 80 brands, um, about 25 venues, and 3,000 people at, at, you know, Mm. pre-COVID. So, yeah, what a fantastic journey to be on at Maryvale. I love an entrepreneurial environment, and it most certainly is and was. Um, So... Sort of approached that events business as really, okay. What what do we need to do? We had a fairly narrow client base, um, so needed to diversify. Particularly, starting in a GFC when the banking world retracted and it uh, wasn't quite entertaining they were the way they used to be. So, and that was a real sweet spot for Maryvale. So, how do we how do we um, broaden that market? Um, the relationships we needed to have. Tourism Australia, business events, Sydney, destination New South Wales, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so, really, and, and an incredible team built an incredible team um, of people, and applying that same standard that existed in the restaurants and bars to the events world. Um, events are a funny thing. I think, sadly, people have a rather low expectation of what service looks like, what food looks like in events, they, they they accept, you know, it's going to be chicken and fish doled out and there might be their own wine on the table. So, so to change that perception of, no, that's not okay, your, your events shouldn't feel like that. Um, so, that was sort of the first four years. Uh, and then in 2013, I sort of became part of the senior leadership team and my um, sort of Remit broadened, I guess, um, and fantastic time. You know, huge growth, uh, venues left, right and centre, um, and the, the the business grew. And with that, it was a very tight senior leadership team for quite some time. We all knew each other exceptionally well and worked really well together and complemented each other. And um, so my remit broadened till... Uh, till I decided to leave Maryvale, and at the end, I was looking after the marketing team and all the guest services as well. So that included restaurant reservations. That that little call center takes half a million calls a year. I mean, it's quite phenomenal. Um, so yeah, long long journey, lot lot in the eleven years, and loved every minute of it.
0: I've got so many questions. Like one of them is um, what. You, you know, it's because, like, the GFC is the, refer- the modern reference point for some of us for where we are now in terms of COVID and business adjustments. Of course, they're different things, but the your experience there, can we double-click on like in, in terms of, like, what are the things that you do? I mean, you mentioned diversifying market and, uh, and you brought in and Justin was thinking differently at the time. By being, I guess, aggressive, maybe like you know, well, now's the time to double down, perhaps. But like, what were the say the top three or four things that you know really characterised that period for you?
2: Um, I think that definitely was marching to um, was the start of what then became a sort of a ten year activation, if you like. Um, was okay, people are short of money. How how do we give them exceptional value and 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 they're having a hard time, Let, let's go out and eat and enjoy ourselves. So um, it was a $33 offer um, in that first march into Maryvale. but it was is really um, how do we broaden our audience so that people who are spending $33 a head are going to come and try Est, which, you know, they never would have previously. Um, I always think it's also just about constant improvement like you know if you have only got a, a choice you, you can only go out once a week you want that experience to be something that you don't walk away with going oh my god why did I waste my money there so just making sure that what we did was really really good um, and and yeah the diversification was really important I think to, yeah, to yeah. support in our customer base
0: and I'm stating the obvious, but do you think that that's going to be part of the consumer mindset that we see on re-entry now? In term, because, like, I, it's been two months and of lockdown. Discussions around reopening, we haven't really seen the financial consequence of it in, in a way. Like, the market hasn't been left un-government supported, right? Like, there's – do you think people are going to have that same mindset of value, experience, um, certainty, you know, whereas in the pre-COVID world it's kind of two or three times a week, you know, $80 to $200 spends, whatever, but do you think we're going to, is actually a good reference point?
2: I think so. I think um the, the safety aspect will be something that we've not really had to consider before. I mean, of course, you've, you know, you've always had, occupational health and safety and hygiene and things like that. But I think people are going to be really um, concerned about what you're doing behind the scenes to make sure that it's safe um, and and adhering to whatever guidelines do come out. Um, I think a lot of people will value eating out differently because financially everybody's been hit. You know, there isn't going to be the disposable income that there was before. Um, so, yeah, it, it's got to mean something. I mean, I know even when I'm looking at all the thousands of takeaway options or cook-at-home boxes or whatever, I'm really, you know, three months ago I would have just gone, yeah, we'll have that one, we'll have that one, we'll have that one, um, whereas now you're, you're, you're putting much more effort into that decision-making.
0: Yeah, I, that's what I think as well. I think that um, there's quite a bit of assumption around the recovery, which thinks that people's habits will just be unchanged and, you know, uh, those of us who know how consumers think on mass, and it's not just about one or two, right, this is part of the problem with some of the uh, innovations is that, yes, people will spend money on a bottle, cocktail or two for a week and then go, actually, you know what, I can kind of pre-batch this at home or I don't need to spend, you know. Um, and yeah. I, I
2: think those revenue streams... Can be complimentary, but they're, they're never going to replace, it, in my opinion. Mm. When it's not always raining,
1: there'll be days like this.
2: When there's no one complaining,
1: there'll be days like this. When everything falls into place, like the flick of a switch. All my mama told me, yeah, there'll be days
2: like this. In
1: terms of, um, you mentioned uh, it was an entrepreneurial environment, and this—I mean, you could argue, maybe not argue, suggest—you're you, obviously an entrepreneur. You've you've started a number of different businesses, and either then sold them, or um, or I don't know, you've sold them, done whatever you've done with them. But um, that, that's a kind of a mindset or approach, I think, that doesn't tend to go away. But you then found yourself in the one organisation for nearly 12 years, 11 years. Um, Was that at all challenging for you going from an environment? I mean, speaking on a personal note, and I don't know if Mike would be the same, but I would find it really difficult to go back and start working for someone now. And I'm not suggesting that I'm an entrepreneur, but I am a person who has started my own business and I enjoy working for myself. Um, how, How did you manage that in the in the Was that something that took constant management? Did you just adjust over time or was it just the culture there was so entrepreneurial that you kind of felt like you, you still had the same approach?
2: I think it's a combination of both. I, I, I think – or all three. Um, I think when you've got an entrepreneurial mindset, that doesn't go away, whatever environment you're in. I mean, I, I think back to being in that legal firm um, for four years, Um, a national top tier you would not think you know run by 80 partners etc but I went in and went hang on a minute look at the way you're doing these things and and uh, so that entrepreneurial mindset can operate in whatever environment it is in as long as the environment is accepting of that or allows you to be if that makes sense Mm. Um, so I think with with Maryvale, it's 100% encouraged. It, it's, it doesn't matter what role you are in. Culturally, that is the expectation that you will be challenging what goes on constantly. Um, you know, I, I remember when I'd induct people into the team and I'd say, okay, I, I, fresh eyes is what we need. I, I never want to hear somebody saying, oh, that's not how we do it around here. You know, that, that culture is so important um and i think i don't think i ever felt stifled you know sure there's there's some decisions that might not have gone my way but that can happen in in any environment as well so what's got to keep breathing.
1: what what I think this would be interesting because I I can't recall, Mike, if we've had a conversation like this with with anyone on this topic. But when you are working in a culture like that, looking to create a culture like that, what are some of the challenges that you might experience? Um, Because a a lot of business owners – might look at that and, and that might scare the crap out of them, you know, having everyone thinking for themselves, uh, unfortunately, because they, they would like a, um, a consistency of thought process potentially um, or people to just follow a procedure and, and implement it. And obviously, there are going to be processes and procedures in place. I'm not suggesting that there wouldn't be. But, um, you know, for a lot of business owners, operators, it, would, it wouldn't it would be something that they would seek Um are you able to, I guess, distill some of the challenges that may have been presented as a result of that culture but also some of the um, real benefits to it? Um,
2: I, I think the, the challenges is it, it's up to how you bring a person into a business. So making it clear of what those expectations are, you know, to me – there were boundaries. There weren't rules. Okay, so um, that—that's not to say you can go off on a completely different tangent. And um, but some of those some of those tangents are incredible, you know. And, and until you start thinking about them, so how do you how do you encourage that thinking? And it is making sure that you don't shut down ideas, etc. Um, you you, you you create an environment where it's safe to be able to say, "Let's do this. Let's try that." And 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 um, what that can mean is sometimes slightly chaotic. You you can be going off on ten different areas, and actually, what's the impact of those ten? So you have to bring them back in and say, "Okay, we had ten amazing ideas. We can really only do two of them. What 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 are we what are we going to agree on?" Um, there's that disagree and commit um, approach too so um, but I think it's also about the team that you're in that you you trust that you can you can come up with a suggestion that it, you know in some organizations you might be scared to even have an idea um, I'm reading oh, I've forgotten the title of it but it's Ruth Reichel who who was gourmet in the US um, it's her book. Something about plums is the title, um, but when she took over Gourmet magazine, and basically nobody had ever been allowed to voice their opinion, and that she was amazed at how how can a, how can you go forward? How can you keep creating if if people can't contribute what their thoughts are? Makes sense.
0: Mm. Yeah, entirely. I think uh, I think the book's called Save Me the Plums. If anyone's too keen on it. Um, this is often sorry. This is a, we're interviewing you, but I often find this myself help. So I'm going to throw some stuff around. But <laughs> like one of the things that uh, I, I found in the current pandemic and migrating the team home um, is, I guess, challenging because people are trying to cling on to stuff they know. It's like the familiarity of systems and processes, um, which is just I think a safety concept really um, um, and and then but obviously it's an opportunity to innovate right now like we because we can rewrite the city we can rewrite publishing we can rewrite the future of events we can what does conferencing look like all these kinds of questions uh, and um, trying to find and strike the balance between pressure and opportunity and um, familiarity uh, especially for you, you know a business like ours which has got reasonable amount of heritage 50 plus years so there are ways of doing it and i love how you expressed it and i've for the last 10 years said to people coming in like if you think your job is to do today what you did yesterday go and find another business because if you're media if you don't evolve you're dead but it's uh, a real um like uh, like challenge this i think from a mental health perspective that is uh, you know i'm struggling to manage within the team how much can we push how much can we you know, to, to get to that innovation point because one thing I think most people would universally agree is this is the opportunity for innovation. Yeah. Um, but managing that alongside safety is a, a challenge.
2: I, I was thinking about this too and um, it, it's a bit like a grieving process, isn't it? You know, you, you've got the stages of grief and you your last stage of that is a, is acceptance And and I think the I think we've been in a grieving process. Our, in, our industry is absolutely punched from every direction at the moment. But out of that, you know, I always want to add a eighth stage, it is a creativity, is, a, is an opportunity to reinvent. And I think of our industry, of all industries, is very creative, um, collaborative, uh, resilient and, and I think those are the, th- I mean, you know, if, if, if I knew the answer it would be amazing what that is, but but I just think all of those skills and traits that we have as an industry are going to be needed more now than ever. Um, and if we can get through the, you know, the, the hard stuff of it and come out the other side, um, I, I had a text last night from a, a, a wonderful chef that I used to work with who has his own catering business and, you know, in the events world, completely lost everything. And he just said to me last night, you know, I've got the opportunity to drive and direct my business, I have the personality that I want. Like he'd, he'd gone off in a direction perhaps that wasn't true to who he was and now he's got, you know, and I thought, oh, isn't that wonderful? He's coming out the other side. I don't know what that looks like yet. But... um and and then financially, it's obviously going to be a very different different proposition. Um, you know, I was listening to uh, Wes Lambert talking about, um, you know, if if we have to have one person every four square meters, I mean, effectively that's twenty five percent capacity of what we used to have. No, nobody can survive. So.
0: Yeah, that's just a note, you know, that's just a non starter, isn't it? That, like, for hospitality generally, I, um, but, um, yeah, it's, yeah, I get, you know, there's all these competing, right at the moment, there's all these competing interests, isn't there, on and balancing the health debate with the economic debate to try to get this thing back on on the road. But, um, you know, just it does the questions, and we've been on a number of these podcasts in the last little while, probably going off tangent from where we thought we'd go with this a bit, but, the, the the problem is the fixed operating cost base um, of, of hospitality businesses. What what about events though? Like it, it, because at least hospitality there's been there's been takeaway, you know there's been delivery there's been a discussion around these things. But the events world is you know a, 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 a different case altogether. You know I think um, what are your sort of thoughts around how that reinvents itself I mean there's the virtual discussion there's the blended discussion I don't know well tell us
2: yeah look I I don't know either really um I, I think the virtual is and hybrid is here to stay in a way um but I think that you know, suddenly we'll have display ads in the middle of our hybrid ed- events. I don't know, you know, how, how is that going to work? Hopefully, think, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, exactly. I think, um, you know, the food and beverage and service proposition from an event perspective is really tough. You know, thankfully perhaps we won't ever see a buffet again. Um, uh, you know, you, you're not going to be passing around canopies. You're not going to be passing around drinks. Um, that 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 will all have to change, and uh, you know, imagine walking into a gala dinner and getting a pre-packaged box or something. You know, if you can even walk into a gala dinner, and and let alone you know the opportunity to normally meet the person that you're sitting next to. You know, all of those things. I I don't know yet how how that's going to work, but I have great faith that. Um, that desire for human connection, the social, all of that will prevail in some way so that those components can keep going. You know, I think the most challenging part of the Zooms, the, um, all of these things, I mean, even looking at my nearly 16-year-old daughter homeschooling, who, you know, in her life, she spends half of it online anyway, if not more. But that that spontaneous social connection that you just don't get via technology or a, or a phone call or whatever. Somehow we are going to have to have that, I think.
0: Um. Yeah, like it's it's uh, from my perspective with the business uh, timeout, creativity is, yes, at one level uh, it's an opportunity for creativity, but our creative process involves interaction between people in a in, in different locations and whatever else, right? That's sort of I can't do it. I can't do it on a Zoom anyway. Like I've I've really felt that, and um, so and I think Luke, you were chatting about Mark Rit- some of Mark Ritson's predictions, and mm. it, you know his his view is nothing. It all goes back pretty much. Uh, um, yeah. Um. But but I, I I sort of come to the same point that Kathy has, which is that eventually we'll have to you know we make we make concentrically circle in. But I think, I think that we'll end up, you know, hopefully kind of connected again.
2: I, I think from a, a, a corporate perspective, which is obviously the, the hugest component of, of the events world, um, I think the lessons there are that perhaps you don't need to sit at a desk in the office for your business as usual, but I think offices there's an opportunity for offices to be a different place, for them to be where the hospitality happens, where the collaboration mm-hmm. happens. Um, you know, they, they might recognise that we don't need as much space, which is obviously a whole nother conversation, but the space we do have, how, how do we, when people, because now we might not have to go into the office as much. How, when we go into the office, are we connecting? You know, I think there might be a lot
1: more focus there. I totally agree, and i I think that's a real opportunity. That there'll be people that have would have that, that have probably already started to think about that. I mean, corporate catering and getting getting on site um, has obviously been around for for quite a while, but I just feel there'll be a a, um, a desire for business owners and probably their their teams as well to remain in places, um, areas, spaces that they feel safe and comfortable um you know you won't have the same level of comfort walking into any hospitality venue or most people won't um as soon as the restrictions lift there'll still be that uh that air of concern i guess in the back of their minds but um if you were to socialize or have an event within a corporate environment that you're spending a fair bit of time in anyway i think there'll be a lot of services that begin to be um, tailored towards that. And that's a good opportunity for hospitality businesses to take their experience off-site and deliver it in a new environment and, and engage with a new audience in a different way potentially, you know.
0: Yeah, and I think that the other opportunity potentially is, especially for some of the larger operators, is not necessarily conversion to co-working spaces, but something in that vein. Mm. Because the, the, the real estate's going to be unutilized for a period uh, we know that co-working is a thing and it often relies on an element of hospitality, like simplified coffee, sandwiches, et cetera. But that's an essential element of that mix. And, you know, as a, as someone who might be looking for real estate now, I'll be thinking, oh, I wonder whether we could do that thing, Luke, where we move into, it's been my lifelong ambition, let's face it, to just move in above a pub. Yep. I've been trying to do, do that for a, conversation a really long time about it and justify it. Yeah. <laughs> I think we found, finally found, um, so Cathy Savile's advice to Mike, move into
2: a <laughs> <laughs> And if you've got a spare desk, I'll pop in and use
0: it.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a really good point, Mike. I, I actually think businesses, you know, probably have been thinking about it or or should if they aren't, you know, being able to utilise every square metre of the space that they have available to them in a restricted period is, is going to be highly advantageous and booking a seat for someone to sit there and use the internet and consume while they're doing it. Um, a lot of pubs uh, don't have their seats full at Monday lunchtime, Tuesday lunchtime, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever it might be. So there is an opportunity there. Um,
2: I, I, might... I think the other thing is is for the, the bigger venues is those ones that are, how do I say this, AV ready? like. Mm those ones that have worked out how to to host those virtual hybrid events, Um, there's an opportunity there as well, I think.
1: Can you just define for anyone who's not familiar with with what you mean by a virtual or hybrid event? Um,
2: So, yeah, uh, um, I think Michael called it blended, but, you know, a a virtual obviously is is online online. Uh, News Corp did a a virtual event last week, I think, Mm. where um, when you logged on it was as if you were arriving at a convention centre and then you're all standing around in the foyer and then the doors opened and it was like you were in the theatre and in you went to the theatre and then started the content. I mean, then there's a virtual event. A hybrid or blended is where you've got that mix of, online and in person mm. so you know for a global organization you're, you're all sitting in your own area in you know you might actually be meeting but but with the restraints that are involved in your social distancing etc so a component is online but a component is in in real time as well
1: Another part of the conversation, obviously, wanted to have that you and I, I guess, instigated on the phone a couple of weeks ago. But um, you, you made the decision to to move on from Maryvale last year and take a bit of yes. time um, poorly timed time, we might <laughs> retrospectively say, um, but six months just to gather your thoughts and have a think about what did you wanted, what you wanted to do next. Is that correct?
2: It is. It is. Um, yes, it was poorly timed. Uh, it was, it was <laughs> Unfortunately,
1: timed, sorry, is, is probably a, a better way of putting it. Not your fault.
2: It was in some ways and some not. So, um, yes, I finished at um, Merivale at the end of September and probably should have detoxed for the next three months, but I didn't quite manage that. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I I sort of – the I guess why make that decision? Um, Eleven years, I – I never wanted to become that person in a business where they're going, oh, my God, is she still here? Um, that that was important. I wasn't there. I, I felt um, I was contributing. I was I was very happy. But I also I love to learn. Um, and I wanted to go somewhere and learn something new. I, wa- I wanted to be challenged in a different way. Um so that professionally I felt if I didn't move then I probably wouldn't um, and so that that really and I wanted to go out in the right way, you know. Um, that was really important to me. Um, personally, I, you know, my, as I said, my L youngest daughter is 15 and I had been at Mary since she was three um, and you know, as we all know in hospitality, it's a 24-7 love, passion, and and I have no fear of working like that again, but I just felt like I needed to sort of really focus some time on my family. Um, also, I'd had way too much pork belly and Chardonnay over those times. I needed to shift some kilos <laughs> and start putting some fitness in my world. Um and I also felt strongly about giving back in some way. Me Niggles, uh, who is probably most famous at the moment for having the wedding that 45 people got COVID at, which is uh, very disappointing for him and for all of those. But uh, he runs a foundation called Beard Season, which is about the early detection of melanoma. So I have joined that as a board member. Um, so that was sort of ticking off those objectives and then I was coming out of my self-imposed hibernation in February uh, and having some great conversations of a, a variety of, of um, disciplines, I guess, um, people performance, uh, alcohol companies, etc. When when COVID happened. So back into my self-imposed, now not self-imposed hibernation.
0: What about the legal sector? I've got to ask. I'm an ex-lawyer. I used to be at Allen, so I, I can really see a... You probably wouldn't ever want to do this, but like I could just imagine you as being an ass-kicking CEO of a, a new thinking law firm that brought good hospitality and customer service and life into what is otherwise a relatively dull area.
2: <laughs> it, it's not somewhere I'd thought of, but... Uh...
0: Full offers. Oh, well, I'll make a few calls, let's see. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what's it like, Kathy? And we spoke about this on the phone, and and was really what well not well, one of the reasons that spurred on this conversation, I guess. But what is it like being on the market, for lack of a better term, um, at this time? Like, is, how different does it feel, in, in potentially, and potentially, and in what ways, if it does feel different, um, to I guess being on the market in a in a in a, a normal um, recruitment or or job seeking environment?
2: Yeah. Um, are very different especially for someone like me who you know I'm a connector I love people I love relationships I'm a bit touchy-feely you know all of those things that you can't be at the moment um I think there's a couple of things I think it's about what's appropriate you know I have no one real um insight to how particular businesses are feeling financially and 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 whether they're prepared to share that. So, you know, I don't know what state a business is in, I can I can guess. Um, the other thing is obviously people are wanting to look after their own at the moment, you know, and rightly so. Um, how do they hold on to their teams? I guess the only opportunity there is, is it the right team, you know? You might not have the right people to help you through this. Um, but I, 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 that's a cold proposition, I think, in a, in a way. Um, so I guess I've, I've just kept up what I've always done is, is my relationships with people. Um, I've definitely uh, spent more time probably on um, webinars and things like that than I have previously in my life, Um but I just sort of decided, okay, well, I've, I've got to take this time. I'm doing a bit of work with a consulting firm, which I'm really enjoying. Um, I've enrolled in a coaching academy. Um, I think I've probably been a, a, a quasi-coach for most of my life. So, actually, how do I make that more official? Um, so, that's been taking up time and, and you know, I've, I've got a couple of people that I do coach. So, um, I guess I had been in that position where I was starting to think, what does work look like anyway before this happened? You know, does it look like going back into an organisation in a salary position, you know, full-time or, or, or does it look different? Um, I think my challenge for that is I am absolutely thriving teams. Um, so, you know, how, how, do you, how do you get that team component? So, yeah, that's...
1: So... How, is, how has your approach changed um, in terms of the, the connectivity or connections that you're trying to develop in order to I, – I I guess what I'm taking away from what you're saying is that you're feeling a little bit potentially awkward or um, uncertain about reaching out to businesses or people within your network just given the uncertainty about how their business might be performing and therefore you don't want to feel pushy in this market? Is, is that a fair um, – assessment or have I misread what you're saying?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's it. I think it's also about care. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, you know, it's, I don't feel like I've looked for a job for a thousand years anyway, yeah. so it, it, it's sort of strange. That, but you've really, you've got to know so much more about who you're talking to and what they're going through than than you probably have ever had to before. Mm. Um, so, you know, I know when I'm speaking to someone, my, whatever role they're in, it, it's first of all about, like, how are you going? How's the business going? How How are you feeling? What, what's going on? Um, I think there's a lot more of that.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's probably a, something that's been considered by Mike. You would have considered it. I've certainly considered it in the way that I'm communicating with with. Our clients, for example, because you, there's an etiquette that not everyone is familiar with, or probably hasn't been as you know defined that well for a lot of a lot of professionals in this market. Um, you know, I've grappled personally with how best to communicate with our clients, um, or whether to communicate with them, because of the endless stream of COVID nineteen update emails that you get from businesses that I just don't have a relationship with anyway, um, whereas you know most of our clients have got very warm relationships with them. But even even then, it's hard to get your head around exactly how to balance the right level of sort of genuine sincerity, empathy, and um, care um, when you know that they're going to be looking at you as a person that you, has transacted with them and probably would like to transact with them again in the future. So I don't think there's any right or wrong answer to it. but Yeah.
0: Um, I, yeah. I, I don't know if this is useful because – Obviously, with the nighttime industries association work that I'm doing, it's a rock and a hard place because the association needs funding. The businesses who would otherwise fund it are all hit the wall, like not hit the wall, but like they're you know they're in the level of pains that you're describing, and um, you know, so you've got to try and find a way to make something work of very limited resources, uh, and you know, it's awkward to ask but it's like, well, we can't do it, Do anything without funding. What I suppose I would observe is that the senior level people are in the headspace in my experience of thinking through the after scenario, which is in my world, it's like how do you come out? It's not really whether you, um, what matters is that you come out in front of your competition essentially, you know, so whatever competitive advantage you have now, you need to find a way of maintaining that and playing that and then being well-positioned for whatever comes next without preordaining what comes next. So, you know, functions and whatever else, probably not going to come back the same way, but, okay, well, let's at least be at the front of the curve on that. And, um, you know, I think that the um, – so what I do is I look at whoever's in the market and think, well, these are the other players that relate to the timeout business, as an example, and, okay, well, let's just maintain our strong relationships with and, and just have the honest chat. Different context because it's not necessarily seeking an employment opportunity, but for us it's an advertising revenue opportunity essentially. Um, and then, of course, like I think that the the maybe somewhat untapped area is really around government um, because government needs, People to lead it out of this situation. Like, government can only set the um, parameters, but doesn't know how to make industry work best to deliver on an economic recovery. And so, you know, that's where um, it would not necessarily be a traditional way of uh, thinking about it. But it, from a region perspective, that's all that's going to matter. New South Wales needs to come out ahead of Victoria and Queensland if you're the premier. And Australia needs to come out ahead of. New Zealand and Singapore and whatever else if you're the prime minister. So there's, I think, um, you know, a, a couple of perspectives that you know you can look at this and think, well. And I think that there's very much phases from as an organisation. One is all right crisis management and safety. Now we're in this period of okay, let's just try and work out WTF, all right? But and this is going to be different in every, everyone's business, but what you know is that the skills that you had before need to be adapted to what, you know, you're going to need on the other side. It's not, going, it's not going to be the same for the for 12 months, right? So there is going to be this gap. And as an employer, I think, well, I'm going to need to find a way of bridging that in some case. Do we have the skills that we're going to need? Like what other, what things are missing to meet the new market? How do we run events in, in, a, in a world where there are, you know, how, do, how does our bar awards exist? Well, what does it now need to look like, et cetera, And do we have the skills to deliver on that? So you know, I think that kind of um, entrepreneurial behaviour is, is, that's what's going to differentiate businesses on the other side, right? Like that's the key to it, you know? So... Uh, um.
2: And I also think it's about how you've behaved in this time to some extent. Um, you know, so to your point, Luke, about the, the thousands of COVID communications that you're getting from people you've got no relationship with, haven't done, etc. Mm. you know, are they seen as opportunistic? Are they annoying? Or You know, what do you feel about them versus somebody who's just actually, from a, a client point of view... It, if you're looking after them, and that might not be financially, that mm-hmm. that might just be the right em- empathy at the right time, the whatever. To me, they're the things that people will remember on the other side. Yeah,
1: agreed. How are you? We're going to jump direction, tact a little bit here, but I mean, how how are you handling the the period personally? What the what are you doing to to pass the time apart from? <laughs> Not eating pork belly and drinking chardonnay, although you may well be drinking some chardonnay from time to time. Yep,
2: yes. <laughs> definitely drinking chardonnay. Is still, red, actually. Yeah, it's good um, stuff. Uh, it's a good question. Um, I, I one of the things I did with, with this fitness when I left Maryvale was I started a ten-week ocean swimming, um, yeah. and it. Honestly, if you if you knew me last year, you know I normally probably have a cigarette in my hand and a chardonnay (laughs) in the other. Um,
1: So I started.
2: (laughs) I just went completely the opposite, and I that is my new addiction is ocean swimming. Um, So I am swimming every morning practically still, um, and it's become a thing. And it's so meditative. You know, it, it's it really gives you a good time to think and and um, yeah, maybe I I've become the new poster person for women in their fifties. No, um.
1: <laughs> where are <laughs> so, you? Tell us what kind of stats have you got? How far are you swimming, and and where are you God, doing it?
2: Not massive. I mean, like a couple of K's, but you That's know, the, the first time I got in the pool, I couldn't even do fifty meters without stopping. It's am,
1: yeah, it's amazing how I started doing triathlons a couple of years ago, and, and the swim part of it for me was the hardest to get uh, momentum with. But do you find it's one of those things where you just go from doing sort of fifty meters to two hundred to like two K's pretty quickly? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and oh, I just think from a mental health point of view, it, it's been a wonderful thing to have that outlet. Um, I, luckily, as I say, I've been doing a, a little bit of work with a consultancy business, which has been wonderful. I need to, I need to be using my brain and um, uh, thinking. I, I mean, I, it's interesting. I have not worked in that space before. Mm. so to be doing that remotely um because i i to michael's point about needing people around and how he brainstorms and all of those sorts of things i i find that challenging to do remotely um but i'm learning um and then as i say i've I've enrolled in the six months um coaching academy which is something i've been looking at for such a long time so and then I have a really neat linen cupboard now. My pantry <laughs> is – everything is labelled <laughs> and I love to cook anyway, so quite a, quite a lot of that. So a combination,
1: yeah. Nice. Um, do you – take this opportunity if you want. You've obviously been through your, self, your self-imposed six-month hibernation. There may be people listening to this, so give yourself a plug. Um, on a personal or professional level, or or, or just to find, you know, what what realisations you came to on the back of that um, hibernation period is to, if there were any, you know, if you got clarity around where you're wanting to go or what kind of opportunities you're looking for, do you think?
2: Um, it's been interesting preparing for today. Um, I I've sort of forgot how many um, life changing events I've been through, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I'd forgotten about that airline strike the year we started a travel business. Um, I'd forgotten about the GFC. Um, so I, I think a really good understanding of, of resilience is such a thrown-around word, but, but, you know, whatever the situation, crisis has two sides, right, a challenge and an opportunity. Um, I will always focus on the opportunity. So, and I do that regardless of whether it's a crisis or not. And, and my two things that I'm passionate about is um, opportunity and people and, and how you pull those two things together. Um, and I, sometimes you, you know, you've employed someone for a specific thing, and then as you get to really understand them and you go, actually, there's something they bring that really fits with something we've been thinking about over here, how do we make that happen, or or vice versa. Um, that's the stuff I'm passionate about, uh, yeah. And whether, whether we call that leadership people development, I don't know. I don't know what we call it. Um, it's funny when, you know, when you're in hospitality, you're in sales, I don't know, I'm in business. I, I just love business.
0: Yeah, well, ahead. I think your your career has been punctuated by by these, yeah, crisis. I don't know what you call it, but like changing environments, really. Like, and uh, um, obviously, you've flourished in that in that in that change. So, um, you know, we would totally wish you the best of, of luck with with the search. And um, and uh, it's been such a great look le- I can see why you would make such a great coach. You, it's just been great listening to you, you speak and. Um, and, and learning during this podcast, which is just how we like it.
2: Well, I go out by in
0: a so now we just want to ask you a couple of more lighthearted ones to, to wrap us all up. Um, so... We're on the cusp of, of lockdown being lifted apparently um, depending on who you ask. Um, which venue, given the opportunity would you rush back to if it's open?
2: Well I wouldn't and I wouldn't rush back because I never got to Mimis. You're right. I could you before it was only open like seven or eight weeks and, and I know that's a marvel. but that's where I would spend my dollars first if I could.
0: Uh, Great. Now, I think you may have already answered this one um, multiple times, (laughs) I might add, (laughs) during the the podcast, but uh, is the ISO drink of choice the Chardonnay or are you on something else?
2: Uh, I'd probably start with a Four Pillars bloody Shiraz with Mm.
0: a dash of soda. A, A dash of what, sorry? Soda. Oh, right. Lovely.
2: Um, and then, uh, then into the chardonnay.
1: What chardonnay are you? Uh, are you is his first choice?
2: Oh my god! Um, well, it depends if I'm quaffing or it's uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> a session, I, A obsession chardonnay. I did,
2: chardonnay. <laughs> I did uh, uh, stock up on one, the Maryvale House one when I left, which is called Mother Hen which people used to suggest it was named after me, but I don't think it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's always some of that open in the fridge.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> still, uh, still a company lady. I like it.
2: <laughs> oh, it's in your blood. Yeah. I'm, I'm very passionate about that business. Yeah.
1: Nice. Well, thanks for taking the time. It was awesome to... Um, To to speak with you and uh, learn more about yourself professionally, but also personally. I think people take a lot away from your perspective and and the way you think about things. So, appreciate you sharing your time and best of luck um, through the rest of this uh, experience. And we'll look forward to seeing where you go next.
2: Well, thank you to both of you, Michael and Luke, for having me. Really enjoyed
1: it. All good. I'm sure I'll speak to you soon. Will do. Pleasure, Cathy. Thanks for being on.